0: hello everyone welcome to amt's tech trends podcast where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news i am the director of technology benjamin moses i'm here with steven lamarga technology analyst steve today's episode is sponsored by am radio but let's get to that in a second let's talk about shot show
1: shot show okay you and i ever since we started ever since we realized we had a similar interest in firearms yep um you have always, you know, presented to me, Steve, let's find a way to get to SHOT Show. <laughs> We've wanted to go to SHOT Shows for years now, probably since we both started at AMT. Correct. And it's like, there's going to be manufacturing present at SHOT Show. Sure, it's the firearms industry and not manufacturing industry, but there will be manufacturing technology present and on display. The, their products of... The advanced manufacturing technology will be on display at SHOT Show. Plus, this is an interest of yours and I. We have to go. Correct. It's now 2022, probably six, seven years later. <laughs> and <laughs> we're finally approved to go. Well, I am. Ben didn't apply um, because you have a scheduling conflict. Overlapping, yeah. So I'll be going solo, but that's okay. Because part of SHOT Show is called, well, the first day of SHOT Show is actually a Tuesday. But Monday is a day of SHOT Show that is by invite only Mm -hmm. called Industry Day at the Range. Right. Which is exactly what it sounds like. They bring all of the industry people, the media people to the range. Excuse me. They don't bring all of them. It's by invite only. We didn't get an invite to that. But that's okay. Because you can't make it this year. I'm going to – one of my goals is to secure an invite this year as well as see manufacturing technology on display. And then we'll get you going next year. uh, And we'll have invites to industry day at the range. (laughs) Um, I've really, like, mentioned everything that I need to about SHOT Show. We want to see all of the manufacturing technology that is being implemented and used in the firearms industry. And that's what we're going to be highlighting a key reason why it is more important this year or next year 2020 since it's early or late January 2023 um is because this year after shot show this year the US military announced that it had a, adopted a new general issue service rifle mm. across all branches yep. like the Sig Spear or something like that i i forget what m designation it is doesn't matter frankly it's it's a more advanced and evolved ar platform rifle right in all honesty however one thing that's very special about it one thing that's very cool from like you know a a teenager video gamer perspective is that all of these weapon systems that will be issued to soldiers and marines um will come standard with a suppressor so it's not just SF special forces troops that are going to be getting cans on their rifles, but like all soldiers will get suppressors or silencers with their rifles. Here's where we come in. <laughs> the new trend in the firearms, small arms defense industry is that the best suppressors are made using metal additive technology that's true we want to see it <laughs> you got to see it in person and i even told dayton about this yesterday once i was excited I, I he was like one of the first person people that i saw when uh i i got the email back saying hey you've been approved i'm like yes um <laughs> and he was like i think i have an idea what machine what company they've contracted sure. to make the cans because uh the, the new rifle is made by Sig Sauer, which is a, a German Swiss company that back in the day was more of a Swiss company and then became more of a German company. Now it's like an American company. It's like I have no idea what they are now. They're a global conglomerate. They're yeah. at least transparent about it. <laughs> unlike car companies, you know, they're all over the place. Um, and Dayton was like, I've got an idea who's making their these suppressors. And I've got an idea of the equipment they're using to yep. make them, which is really cool. So. If anything, maybe he should go, too, but, you know, (laughs) whatever. Uh, I'm going to be going this year. Um, Going back to how we're going to get an invitation to Industry Day at the Range, um, which is invite only. And I found out yesterday, womp womp, that they stop accepting invitations. Like, Like, you can get an invitation as early as, like, I think, July 1st. Okay in the year before a shot show right. and as late as September 30th. Uh-huh. So we're outside the window, right? No matter who I like, you know, mosey up to and, 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 and get tight with, uh, before the end of the year or before shot show, it's not going to count. Yep. It's going to have to count towards 2024. Right. Um, but guess who we're tight with and when, Oh, when I, Sent our app, my application to be accepted at, for a press pass to SHOT Show. Um, the, you know, they ask for, because I don't actually have media credentials. Like there's right. some like a uh, press uh, certificate to sure. say that you're authentic press or whatever. Instead, I had to like call them, be like, Hey, I've done this, this, this. Right. Uh, I'm not from the firearms industry or the outdoors industry. I'm from the manufacturing industry. But here's the closest that I've been. I sent them episode one, season one road tripping with Steve (laughs) at the American Precision Museum, which facility which which has on display the birth of the American manufacturing industry um, and automation and machine tools. And the term machine tool. But it was all for the mass productions of the mass production of small arms for the U.S. military and interchangeable parts that that they were going for, hence precision and not accuracy. And that's like the closest related (laughs) thing that I have to the firearms industry. Yeah. They saw that. They loved it. They approved me. Nice. Um, But going back to the American Precision Museum, um, American Precision Museum (laughs) is – supported has two partners Uh in the firearms industry savage arms at least two savage arms and daniel defense wow that means i've got two companies to go visit (laughs) while at shot show this year and be like hey let's talk manufacturing technology and then you know half hour later by the way can i get an invite
0: (laughs) two massive companies can you you get can you
1: get like my boss an invite too so we can go to industry (laughs) date the range next year that's awesome we'll try to hype you up try try to like Give us something with manufacturing technology. Exactly. You know, we don't want to upset anybody. We understand why you might want to, but we don't want to upset anybody. Send us something cool with manufacturing technology. We'll report on it in a positive light that won't get you guys in trouble or in any hot water. Won't get us in any hot water (laughs) and everybody will be happy. And then we'll be back in 24, 2024, January to shoot guns with you.
0: There's a couple of reasons why I like Show a lot for manufacturing, right? So We've been talking about like firearms, so pistols, rifles. You just talked about the new uh military a issue new. Can. Uh and the yeah, the new suppressor and related and to. It. The rifle's
1: cool too. Yeah.
0: It's fine. It's a new new caliber. So along with that, right, you have manufacturing for the firearm itself, right? Subtractive yeah. manufacturing. Most likely they're from forged materials or from raw materials. But then you get into the advanced manufacturing where uh to your point, you know, the the most optimized flow path uh can be made using additive, right? Right. Using subtractive exactly. is very difficult. So suppressors is they explo- like two years ago, the volume of suppressors is so much different than where it is today. Yeah. And part of that is the acceptance of additive, that it is a viable uh, solution yeah. for that um, in a production ma- uh, manu- uh, environment. And along with that, so, um, so you have firearms and the suppressors, the advancements of materials for that whole ecosystem has come a long way. Like, so they're not using wrought steel, probably. They're probably going to titanium because of the overall size. And they've gone to a, bit, a different caliber. I think they're using six and a half. Um,
1: they're using 6.8 6. 8. by 51. Yep. So, so it's a 308 necked down
0: and, uh, and not, pressured up. So, yeah, they're using the bimetal uh, casings, right? The I think so. The steel back and the uh, yep. brass housing. Yeah. But at the same time, you have true velocity that's competing against that with a full polymer case. So you have the entire ecosystem of material competition within the firearm industry. But the manufacturing side of that, too, you have completely automated lines for forming machining pouring and assembly uh, which is completely fascinating Eighty
1: thousand psi is generated by that cartridge of pressure and they're going to suppress it (laughs) like like if that doesn't speak to like it doesn't you don't need to know calc 3 to (laughs) see the math on that clearly points to advances in manufacturing technology because you know 10 years ago well just a few years ago actually you know 5.56 Five five six was supposed to be capped around fifty
0: thousand psi, yep.
1: and we're almost doubling that yep. now. It's wild. It's it's
0: and the confidence to run those pressures in those harsh environments, and
1: knowing when it fails exactly where it's going to fail. Another thing that that you uh, you touched on, um, the FBI uh-huh. just uh, accepted and adopted and approved. Probably not in that order. Approved, <laughs> accepted, adopted um a new suppressor for their forces okay um and it's a flow-through design meaning it can only be additively manufactured nice um and what a flow-through design means is silencers or suppressors were conventionally made in multiple pieces with like forming technology Mm -hmm. like they're pressed and and probably a little bit of conventional subtractive like milling um but A suppressor in the past and when they were invented was just, you know, a a accurately manufactured internal combustion engines muffler. Right. You know, it's a reflective muffler with baffles inside it. And while that works for a single or maybe a few shots, um, it doesn't work for full auto. And the FBI wanted a full auto rated suppressor. So I wonder what they are (laughs) up to. But um, they want they they recently adopted this suppressor that has a flow through design, which, again, can only be manufactured um, using additive and a flow through design is it, it's nothing new, but it, it's a five plus year old design, which uh-huh. is more recent than other suppressors. Um, but this flow through design started with a company called OSS uh-huh. operator suppressor or something like OSS suppressors. And that was the original company name. And they started using subtractive, eventually adopted additive manufacturing to make these flow through designs. But they described it best as in flow through suppressors are like a rocket engine in reverse. (laughs) Sure. And if you think back to how rocket engines are made now. Yep. They're only made traditional manufacturing is out the window yeah. it's it's gone right. they're never going to make rocket engines with traditional manufacturing ever again they can only be additively produced and a rocket engine reverse is a flow through suppressor yeah. these can only be made with additive we are this is the advent of implementation of additive i yep. told you people before <laughs> i'm going to say it again additive has already emerged stop calling it an emerging technology what we need to implement it and integrate it into the rest of the manufacturing supply chain or, or, or workflow is is design for additive rocket engines flow through suppressors is is the best and first like, like, like the spearhead example of of design for additive. And it is it's the advent of the integration of additive. This is something beautiful to witness whether or not you agree with firearms or not. <laughs>
0: you know, this is this is big. Are you done? I've promised <laughs> I'm done now. <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about is it's the subtlety uh, in shift in optics. I'm a big fan of, you know, clean glass on a rifle or mm. uh, and then most pistols have gone to, you know, red dot sights on there, yeah. uh, which is great. I I enjoy a red dot, but also backup iron sights was Always valuable, sure. battery's gonna die. But the, right. the interesting shift I've seen is packaging electronics into the optics. So one of the things with the uh, new rifle is uh, advanced targeting. So they're able to uh, identify the target and the, um, re- <gasps> the reticle will tell them what the bullet drop should be yeah. by putting a, a, a mark on the screen itself. So some of them are using advanced screens. So it's a packaging of electronics, lots of sensors, range finding, getting barometric information. And then being able to display that to the user in the optic itself so you know the advancements of all of that electronics into something that they can see through yep. it's completely fascinating to me and
1: it's and its borderline well it's not borderline it is also implementing automation yeah to a conventional soldier right which is wild because not only are some of these optical systems um do auto lazing uh-huh. of the target meaning it range finds for you uh, and tells you how far and what kind of bullet drop compensation you need. Yep. But in some cases, they even turn the dials of yeah. the optics yeah. for yeah. you. And in it was never adopted. And frankly, I don't know how well it works. But there was a time mm-hmm. where the optics was even integrated into the trigger group. Right. And it didn't let the user pull the trigger until they knew that they were going to score a hit. Yep. Which... Sounds like automation to me.
0: <laughs> it's fascinating. So yeah, yeah, I'm very excited to see, you know, as an end user, the progression towards that, but the manufacturer be able to package everything so someone can actually carry it.
1: And it's technically not like an automation system pulling the trigger. Right, You're pulling the trigger, the automation system isn't letting you pull the trigger yep. until you can
0: score a hit. We'll get more on that towards the end of the episode. Oh yeah, we will. Steve, can you tell us about our sponsor today? Speaking of additive
1: AM radio is the new podcast from additive manufacturing media. Join editors, Pete Zielinski, Stephanie Hendrickson, and Julia Heider as they share stories of companies succeeding in 3d printing today. Talk about emerging trends and discuss the future opportunities and potential for AM in the context of the larger manufacturing landscape. New episodes are published every other week. Subscribe now on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tune into additive.
0: There's one thing I've always missed of a manufacturing facility, and I enjoy hearing it when I get back to a facility, is sound of chips flying. Mm. You've been cutting some chips on the Pocket NC 2.0. How does it feel? And tell me about it.
1: Dude, it feels so good. And, And starting about, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the feel because from a visual standpoint, you look at the new Pocket NC compared to the old Pocket NC. Yep. They look like they're still the same machine. Sure. The only thing that looks different is the B table. There's a new button on it. It finally has a proper <laughs> E stop on it and not just like a play pause. Right. Um. Proper big red E stop on it. And the other thing that looks different is the UI. I think I've touched on that in a previous episode. It's it's universes better. Right. I don't need to talk about it again. It's it's so much better. But the feel of the machine. It's like a totally new machine when you're cutting Okay. Um, the new work holding. I mean, I knew it was going to be good when I first saw the the, the 40 taper ER 40 call it mm-hmm. in the B table so you can run bar stock inch wide. I think I forget what the maximum size is. It's like a little over an inch, sure. but because inch size inch diameter bar stock is like the most common and easiest to get, mm-hmm. I decided to go with that first. Um, it hold it it perfectly zeros. Like you don't need to comp for like work holding offset. You don't need to comp for a vice sitting on top of the table. Like everything zeroed for you can home the machine and just start cutting away. Cool. And you don't need to do any measurements. If you want to get fancy, you can measure your tool offset and it does that automatically for you. Again, touch that on that in previous episode, but I can't emphasize enough. Like you have to experience how much better this feels compared to the last one. Um, and how much more solid the work holding is. You you can't experience it until you're actually making the chips fly. Yeah. Because you get so much more feedback now in the best way possible. Like you get more feedback or less lack thereof. You get less feedback when you're cutting it right. Okay. Like, doing a climb cut with um, w- with what I was doing was noticeably quieter than doing a conventional cut on 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 um, when when pocketing uh, make to make this shot glass. Um, but it's it, it, if I had to compare it to anything, it's like. You know, obviously, this is still isn't like, you know, uh, a FANUC robo drill <laughs> or even, you know, a. a Bridgeport and email or, you know, my my particular dream machine, a, uh, a Mazak Integrex i hundred ST. You know, I'm not ready for that. That's like a yeah. thousand plus CC motorcycle. Right. You know, the last pocket NC, the last Penta machine we had was like a 250. Now I'm at a 400.
0: <laughs> nice. That's a solid and upgrade. And it's
1: amazing. <laughs> it's it got all the features. Yeah. You know, it's got ABS.
0: <laughs> Stuff and like it, that. And I do like how it sets us up for the future. We've been talking about, um, you know, setting up the test bed. As a factory, and you know we ship the robotic arm down to uh, the tech center in Mexico, uh, Mo- Monterey. Yeah. Uh, so Carlos and his team and Daniel are using it nonstop. Yeah. Uh, so we're looking to rebuild our entire system instead, and, and it's a solid upgrade going from the 1.0 to 2.0. Right. And we need to um, get back to getting a robotic arm to further yeah. explore automation. And it sounds like being able to cut. So we we're using some pretty solid tools. Also, and not using like really small end mills. You're using like a quarter inch end mill, right?
1: Yes, quarter inch end mill, yep. uh, three flute, corner radius. Um, but, but what's really important to me is that you know I'm not from the industry, and so I don't have experience on machines before this. Yep. I'm a little bit self taught with you know some guidance from from you and and other people in the industry that have helped out where they can to get me started. But you know again we don't make parts here at AMT, um, and so. But now that I have some experience machining, it really is a pleasure working with this new machine and how easy it is and how much more precise it is uh, getting chips flying. But, like, what's going to be really awesome is when, you know, I get some more students in here from, like, Marshall High School from, like, their – robotics team Mm -hmm. that want to make parts for their their competition robot or whatever, you know, they've never touched or maybe even seen a machine tool before. This is going to be so easy for them to use, even if I'm not there, which I will be, (laughs) but like even if I'm not there, like it'll be easy for them to figure it out without any guidance.
0: And I do like, so you did cut this part uh, in the manual mode, right? So basically feeding it and using the controls. I do like the ability and the user interface. I think that's an important key takeaway for Someone with your amount of experience being able to grasp how to work the machine, basically independent. Yeah. So I think we've come a long way in terms of human human machine interfaces, and we've talked about that quite a bit. Of it's more intuitive now, where it's, yeah, you don't have to understand just putting in straight G code. That's cool and all, but you have to know G code. Yeah. So, but being able to have a, a better machine interface where you can slowly get to that, and then getting into CAD CAM in the future is a very interesting progression. Yeah. Awesome. Let's talk about some articles, man.
1: Let's get into it.
0: I've got a first one. Uh, uh, we got an article from AMT Online that talks about uh, a recap of IMTS and the progression of Additive. We've been talking about Additive quite a bit. And this is a good summary of kind of the overall landscape of Additive.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. We talk about metal for uh, firearms. Uh, But this one talks about the six innovations from the Additive Manufacturing Pavilion at IMTS. Uh, And i got a bunch of the cool bullet points. And I think the... The last one is where it's connecting more with the production side of additive. Uh, the first one is uh, flexible additive, subtractive, inspection, hybrid systems, basically all-in-one systems. And you're seeing that a little bit more. Um, basically, you want to be able to get a finished part out of the machine. Yeah. And I definitely see uh, a lot of those hybrid machines you know, being able to multitask, right? So if, you're, if you don't have a printing job, you don't want that expensive machine being sit, sitting there. Uh, so I thought this was interesting. Uh, print with high viscosity resins for parts with the expanded functionality. So the need for resins uh, is growing a little bit more and the uh, drive for the underlying technology. Uh, low heat metal bonding. I think there's a lot of potential there, um, but it's, I think, niche market potential. But we'll see. Uh, lower cost laser printers for small companies. And that's why I think, uh, you know, expanding like the lower tier manufacturers. So they have the capability. Yeah. So it's not just SIG partnering with one company, right? So SIC yeah. can partner with uh, three tiers below and that third tier can get into additive right. also. Uh, closed loop printing for tight specs, uh, mainly for soft polymers. Closed loop is definitely progressing a lot more. Um, one thing on the metal side we're seeing on the closed loop is uh, um, thermal distortion and uh, porosity. So being able to detect that real time. Um, so there's still uh, ongoing debates. We've, we've talked about this ongoing uh, and that. We're curious to see how the firearm industry is going to get past this is the qualification process for a finished good through additive process uh, because of the you know different processes different techniques are are they going to be as strict as as like um uh, aviation is um in aerospace uh, so yeah. we'll see and the last one fast printing for high precision production grade tools so a very interesting uh, summary. There's a bunch of more detail that Dayton gets into. That, and so that's a,
1: I can I'm surprised that that's a Dayton article because while those are key points, right? Th- those are good points. Those aren't the really fun takeaways <laughs> from the pavilion. Sure, those are really good ones and they're right. very important. Right, but I, I, I feel bad for Dayton because he was obviously restricted from what he could say <laughs> from in, in his own internal dialogue. Sure, because there were definitely some. Other things that we saw in the additive pavilion that people, you know, uh, told us about, Right. you know, who worked at these companies that we don't have the liberty to speak on yet. I mean, for example, and I won't name names, (laughs) but like there is a Formula One team that, you know, didn't get off to the best start this year, but. Ended up running away with it and absolutely dominated the constructors championship. Right, and it's because all of their internal components in their engine
0: mm-hmm.
1: are three D printed. Wow, and very well three D printed. Yep. And I got to meet the company and the person who's behind it, and they didn't want to share too much information, but like <laughs> with, with about the, the the particular Formula One team. Sure. But ever since they started using them, they just ran away with the constructor's championship and Max Verst- Oh. <laughs> anyway, yeah, there's some what's cool about additive still and why why even though I keep saying that it's not emerging, it's emerged. There this this brings me back to like okay. This is why they're still called an emerging technology because we can't be as free with well, so much of this fun information. I,
0: I, I think we should change their title to emerging advantage. I don't think people have fully understand how to take advantage of that for their end use, and that's a very good scenario where they found that one thing that uh, the one design that matches their optimal path and they will achieve that optimal design through that process. I think that's the that's the missing link that a lot of people are missing is that, yeah, they're focusing on manufacturing uh, side of it, but it's the design that needs to be pushed and figure out how to get value from additive,
1: yeah, I just. It, it it stinks that we still have to be so secretive Meh. with this inf- information. And I know I know from as many conversations as I've had with him, Dayton does have to be secretive with a lot of this stuff. But if you look at the 2022 Formula F1 constructor standings, right. the team that ran away with the constructor championship and just utterly dominated – it is because of AM, and it is a shame that the additive company's team that all enabled them to run away with it, their name isn't plastered all <laughs> over the car the way it should be.
0: Eh, it'll happen. I mean, we've even talked about Eventually, like, it will. Like the F-35 is uh, the fighter jet is being retrofitted with a new engine. Everyone's like, oh, that's a lot more money, but they're able to get. You know, like 40% more power out of it, 20% more fuel efficiency out of it. So the value that we're getting out of it. I'm just saying
1: that like, you know, being that F1
0: is like the. An advertising company? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yeah, it is is an advertising company. But
1: the fact that like, let's say next year, you know, the other teams figure out what it was that, that made that other team just run away with it. Right. And they start implementing that technology by the time that the company that was responsible for 2022's constructor championship is able to come out about it mm-hmm. and and at least get some recognition. Three other two to three other teams are also going to have be implementing that technology and it'll be OK because that will, means tighter racing. Hopefully we are talking about F1. There's never right. tight racing
0: now. Um, but. A future episode, and we're seeing this a lot more, um, I think we'll have probably a future episode specifically to automotive and additive. Um, we're seeing it, obviously, on the supercar side, but then slowly trickling out. F1, there is a lot of trickle-down technology from Formula 1 into production. So, while well, I agree with you there. The competitive space is going to be annoying for a while until they, the rest of the competition can catch up. But uh, seven years from now, Honda, Ferrari, Mercedes, we'll eventually see some of that trickle down technology into production cars which if we're not all electric by then <laughs> fair point let's get into <laughs> one of my favorite topics lean manufacturing lean manufacturing okay
1: so speaking about cars yeah. so this is a good segue um i came across not an article but a blog post um from a gentleman that worked in the automotive industry um, specifically, he was a CAD designer okay. in the automotive industry, and he worked. He definitely had a pretty good tenure with Toyota and Volkswagen, the two biggest producers of automobiles around the world. Right. Um, I th- I believe he's also got other ex- more uh, other experience with other companies like GM and Honda, but the big ones, Toyota, Volkswagen and then Honda and GM after that and another company that he designed for in Ohio that he spoke very highly of yep. um even though I don't think he mentioned the the name of the company um but this blog entry talks about you know mass production versus lean production yep. um and then design for mass production or 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 mass design versus lean design yep. and how it comes down to these companies' products, um, how you can differentiate the quality and the craftsmanship and the value of the final products that go to consumers is also extremely uh defined by not just you know lean versus mass production and design, but also the leadership and the management of those companies. Right. And it was it it's really fascinating listening to this guy talk about um you know he he uses uh Volkswagen as the example for mass production versus Toyota for lean production and um he gets into the Japanese leadership okay and where you know west he, he separates the the leadership between Western management and lean leadership. Sure. Um, So kind of implying that Western companies don't imply lean, even though when I mentioned that Ohio company that he worked for earlier, uh, he did say that this company from Ohio was incredible at implementing like lean or Eastern leadership uh, uh, traits and qualities, which is really cool. But it's. It's when you want when you everybody, you know, especially people that say stuff like, you know, be American, buy American and that wonder why, you know, some products, whether it's German or American car, like, you know, their economy cars don't sell as well as like like for whatever reason, Japanese economy cars are just worlds better, more reliable and just sell better right. than anybody else's economy car. It it makes sense when you look into how he breaks down the management. Nice. Where he, he like accuses Western management of being like, you know, there's one boss that has a vision mm-hmm. and he has that vision. Uh, he doesn't care what other people's visions are. Right. And um he dictates the teams under him um to do the work that adheres to this vision right um in other cases there's a manager in in western culture that you know tries to to manage the best of their ability and be a leader um but it's constantly shot down by the executive management above sure. them yeah um as for lean lean leadership mm-hmm. is that manager is trusted to to do what they feel is right for the company. And when that person, that manager, uh, their selected team, they get to hand pick their team. And each member of that team gets to run away with what they wanna do to align with this Mm -hmm. person, with the the, the leader's uh, vision. And they're very proud of what they do. Right. And the leader, like when they, when they finally come together for a final product, like a car or whatever, the, everybody in that company refers to that product as their leader's car. Like they call it like, uh, you know, uh, Takumi son's car (laughs) in in like Japanese, uh, culture. It, it, It was just really cool. And like in, Western culture, we don't really see that. Right. I mean, we see that for things like, you know, like, like, like Jay Leno's garage will highlight, (laughs) you know, the key lead designer for like the latest Mustang or the latest Corvette, that stuff we can get passionate about. And those things are that you see the passion because it's a successful car. They're successful products. They're well-made products. But like. The person who was like the lead uh, project manager. Like not even, you know, designer or anything, but project manager for yep. like a, the the last Focus or Fiesta. <laughs> that person doesn't want their name in public knowledge. <laughs> you know, not that those were bad cars, right, but it's just they right. didn't they weren't led with passion. Right. The, the, the lean production allows for passion. And I never thought of it like that before. And it had to be spelled out for me in this article. And and it's really eye-opening. And I think every – like I do think everybody should read this blog post because not only is it manufacturing related, yep. but anybody that is either a follower or in a leadership position that cares about being like either a good manager or being a good employee should read this.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of key takeaways that uh, kind of connected the dots with me. So in lean manufacturing, our – a common interpretation, it's, it's a bunch of tools. We use these yes. tools to do something where it's the underlying power of lean uh, manufacturing is the power of uh, the delegation of authority and power, right? So, taking the uh, vision and enabling the person at the bottom totem pole to say, This doesn't look right. We need to do something about it, right? So, being able yeah. to uh, enable that person to basically work with the higher level of autonomy to achieve that leader's uh, vision, and I think that's an underrated um, thing that we keep missing over and over again. And also how the process goes further upstream, right? We say lean manufacturing, but it goes further from the worker on the floor to the manufacturing engineer to the design. So it's an entire ecosystem to say, can we achieve this person's vision of the car or whatever through the entire life cycle? You know, if someone says this part isn't fitting properly or there's concern about this, that goes all the way back the entire uh, upstream as far as possible to solve the problem. So I think it's it's a really good article. and It's incredible. It talks about the nuances that we are missing off and that kind of holds us back a little bit of achieving, uh, you know, what a great company could be.
1: And it's just really sad, like, you know, when you think of, you know, I realize we're getting into, you know, was, yesterday was election day for state primaries or whatever. I don't know. I don't follow that stuff. enough, <laughs> But like, you know, in, in the U.S., we love to say that, oh, we're the freest country in the world. We've got <laughs> so much freedom. And yet we have like the most stressed out employee employees yeah. and like workers and like the anxiety in the U.S. is like higher than ever. And it's because like. I think, be, you know, and this article helps point it out. It's, it's that workers and their managers, not senior managers, but their immediate managers, like are given like this. You know, they're not given the freedom that the country gives them. Right. Their employers right. don't give them that, and. Then, it's weird. I am i didn't take that into the tangent that I wanted to as well as I could have. You That's need to read this blog post, this blog entry, because um, I sound like a babbling idiot trying to explain the beauty of it. And it really is worth your time.
0: Let's get into cybersecurity. Okay. Speaking of trust, <laughs> there should be no trust in cybersecurity. So, <gasps> so there's a the concept of zero trust, which actually I do like a lot in, in security. But in this one, uh, we published an article on uh, building an advanced cybersecurity plan. So using the NIST uh, cybersecurity framework, we've been expanding on the key elements of that and talking through how does that actually uh, convey to the manufacturing floor and our manufacturing equipment providers. Uh, So this one talks about network resource configuration management. Once you get past the uh, title, basically making sure your entire network infrastructure is up to date, you know, from routers, switches, to the end device, you know, we've talked about uh, the machine tool itself being on Windows XP. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. uh windows nt uh, yeah no, xp would be nice <laughs> so you know uh, things that are end of life are end of life for a reason you know to be honest even within our own building we're running into some of those issues where we have servers that have end of physically uh hit end of life and also software wise where yeah. we're kind of maintaining it but if something happens like we're not it's the um, the software is not kept up to current security standards because it's at end of life, no one's supporting it. So it's not just warranty issues, yeah. right? There's patches and things like that that have to keep that software and that hardware current. And once you hit that, it's no longer valid. Uh, so this kind of talks about the importance of all the different devices through the entire network and how important it is to keep those devices current, uh, both physically and software-wise. And it's important. And the big takeaway oh. is, you know, as part of the CapEx plan, it's important to take a look at your IT infrastructure to say, where are these devices in terms of the life cycle yeah. and do we need to change these?
1: And and what's really cool about that is, you know, I, I get a lot of people like to stick with, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> and, and I understand that. Yeah. And, and if it does break, why don't you try to fix it first before replacing it? Um, but so we just, we just had our, our wireless network, mm-hmm. uh, entirely replaced, what? gutted
0: and replaced. It was more than that. But yeah, it started with the wireless. Than, well, that it? already sounds like a lot as it is. And I yeah. don't
1: know enough about it, but like, you know, um, our IT uh, department, our IT team did an incredible job. Right. They started at noon last Friday mm-hmm. and they had it done by 10 p.m. that night. So yep. nobody had to work during the weekend. It was incredible. They crushed it. We have the greatest IT team in the world and we're not outsourced. They're ours, <laughs> which is like the, another cool thing. This is why I keep like saying that, like if you care about cybersecurity, cyber physical security, you need an IT department and a good one. Don't outsource that stuff. Like you need that stuff internal. Anyway, Sean, like our star IT guy, um, Sean's like Steve. Do you want to check out the new server, the new uh, <laughs> servers that we had installed? So clean. And I'm like, let's see it, dude. Because Sean is like hyper specific and OCD about cable management. <laughs> yeah. So I knew this was going to be a thing of beauty. Yep. And the, the guy before him, Chris Nelson, uh-huh. um, the the server that he set up was a thing of beauty. So right. I was like, it can't be that much better. Oh, good. it can't be that much better. <laughs> Oh, it's better. <laughs> it is so beautiful. It's like, you know, when you when you get to go to a car show, like not a car show, but like a concourse d'elegance mm-hmm. and you see a vintage racing Ferrari from like the mm-hmm. 70s and you see the beautiful white ceramic coated spaghetti nest of of exhaust headers, 12 tubes collecting into two Outlets. Yeah. Um. That's kind of what it was like seeing all these cables up there, and I was like, "Wow, that is a thing of beauty." But how does it perform? And it was like, Steve. Let's put it this way: our last network across the entire floor, across the entire like you know office for AMT was a hundred
0: megabits. megabits.
1: Yeah, hundred megs up down. Yeah, or megabits. Right. Because megs may mean something else. I don't. I don't know enough about the units of measurement in the <laughs> IT world. Um. 100 megabits up down, which yep. is super fast, right. which that's, well, not super fast, that's but a, that's great. That's, that's all you really need. Sure. And it's like, this worked great. Why did we replace it? And it's like, look at the performance now. Now it's like anywhere from like, like we measured it on different devices. Mm-hmm. And like I think the wireless network, which is throttled, right, is 500 mm-hmm. megabits down yep. and a thousand up. <laughs> I was like, why does my cell phone need a thousand up? But anyway, and then he showed me now check out, check out the work network. Because that was Optimus, which right. is our, our phone network for everybody's personal mobile device. Um, then for our actual work wireless network, it was like a thousand down and two thousand <laughs> up. And I'm like, this is insane. Like, did we really need this? And he was like, Well, the last one wasn't broken, but like. Let's put. He put it in. Sean put it into perspective brilliantly for me, and it totally made sense when he put it this way. How long do you expect a, you know, your current cell phone to last? And right. really, I'm going to be happy if I get two two years out of it. If I use the cell phone that I have now for two years. I will consider that a good investment. I know there's a lot of Apple nerds that like to get the latest (laughs) iPhone every three months when they come when a new one comes out and they even pay for the iPhone forever upgrade (laughs) program. So when a new one does come out, their payments stay the same. They just go to the Apple store, trade in their old one. They get the new one and they've signed their life away to do so like that. I get the fun behind that. But like it's like, yeah. So like if you. Expect. If you're happy, if your phone lasts for two years, why would you expect your wireless network to last longer than that? <laughs> right. Like you should be upgrading the network every two years. And I was like, whoa, that, that totally makes sense. And now AMT is essentially on <laughs> 5G.
0: Yeah. And there's a couple of advantages to that. So like the like configuration. So there's a lot of things that are limiting our capability. So we do have like a gigabit coming in, in terms of the network access, yeah. the internet access, and we weren't achieving that full bandwidth. So freeing up all that hardware, both from the wireless adapters to the switches, allows us to actually get to what we're paying for. That's that's the underlying problem is wow. we weren't getting what we're paying for, which is frustrating. Cause, like, If you look at standard packages, right? we say that is standard package, but our aging hardware and configuration was limiting us. Yeah. So being able to refresh everything and also the tools to visualize the system. So the aging hardware had older interfaces, had different uh, uh, devices. We went to a, a unified system and, you know, being able to actually see all the devices on your network. That's a huge upgrade. So yeah, yeah it was, it was a fantastic. Was really cool. He showed me that too. Yeah. The topology map of the uh, uh, yeah, network It's all structure. like linear right now. And he wants to change <laughs> that.
1: But like, of course. Sean, we don't deserve you.
0: Steve, <laughs> I do want to get to these two articles, but I think we need to save those for our next episode.
1: We'll save them for next time.
0: All right. Can you tell uh, our audience where they can find more info about us?
1: amtonline.org slash resources. Bye, everybody.
0: Bye, everyone. I'm going
1: to be putting my bike.